Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tucker Fan Podcast, and today I'm introducing Elizabeth Swindell. Elizabeth is Miss Queen of the South, UFL cheerleader and host of Empowerment with Elizabeth, in which throughout this podcast, she hosts enlightened younger girls and women to let them know which, what is possible and what they are capable of and provide them with examples of women who are slaying the game in a variety of fields. Which, like, I know I'm a big empowerment woman freak, as a lot of people call it, but this podcast, once I heard about this, I'm like, this is right up my alley. So, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Oh, I'm so excited to be on this. You know, I love podcasting, so let's do it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, So, if people are kind of not familiar with your work, you know, kind of want to learn more, like, tell us kind of a little bit more about you and your work. Yeah, so my name is Elizabeth, like she just said, and I'm from Dallas, Texas, but I went to undergrad at the University of Mississippi, where I majored in nutrition and dietetics, um, and I was also pre-physician associate, which is similar to pre-med, if you know what that is, mm-hmm. um, and then I had minors in business, biology, chemistry, and dance, so I was a busy gal, mm-hmm. um, and during my undergrad degree with nutrition, I was also in the honors college, so I had to pick a topic to write a dissertation about, and so I decided to do food insecurity, and specifically food insecurity in collegiate athletes during the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, that was kind of where I got started with food insecurity. And then after that, actually, I started doing pageants. And it was kind of just a seamless choice to um, make my CSI related to food insecurity and food waste and eventually food sovereignty as well. Yeah, like once I saw in your bio that you do food insecurity, I'm like, okay, this is something I have to bring up because with my job, I my job is basically dedicated to ending food insecurity. I'm really doing all that stuff. So of course, myself, I'm like, I have to answer these questions. Because I literally, I like, I literally all am a freak recently about food insecurity and all that stuff. Because of course, I work for an organization that does those things. I'm also like, okay, like, what is it? Like, how do I, how do I know if I'm dealing with food insecurity? It's a matter of finding those facts, but. Why did you kind of choose food insecurity as your initiative for Miss Queen of the South? Yeah, so it was really just because of my dissertation that I did during undergrad. And, you know, I got to see, I worked on another research project as well in undergrad that wasn't my dissertation, it was separate. But it was looking at food insecurity in rural areas of Mississippi. So um, specifically Calhoun County, which is a historically um, low-income community, and I'm just seeing how they were affected by food insecurity because, you know, Mississippi is the number one food insecure state in the United States and has been for a couple decades now. So, unfortunately, it's kind of the prime location to be when it comes to food insecurity research. And so I decided to really just capitalize on that and make that my CSI and my platform and something that I champion through pageantry. Yeah, like how did you kind of – you know, learn about all these things. Of course, you go to college for it, but how did you kind of learn so much about it? Because, of course, with the United States, it's such a major factor in what food insecurity is like. I think the United States is one of the top producers in food insecurity. So, like, how did you kind of learn about it and advocate for it at uh, college? Yeah, so I kind of just, like, stumbled into it. And, I was, like I said, I was trying to find a topic 
that related to my major. So, you know, nutrition. So it had to be something to do with food, obviously. Um, and one of my professors was, she's actually the dean for the nutrition school at Ole Miss. And I love her so much. Her name's Dr. Valiant. She's the best. Um, and she was doing, uh, or she had a grad student that was doing research with food insecurity. And, um, you know, she kind of just presented to me a few topics that she had kind of her hands in that were available to write a dissertation on. And I was like, food insecurity seems interesting. And it turns out that it is. And that it is a really big issue in the United States and Mississippi right now. And so, um, you know, like I said, I've just kind of taken that and run with it and made it my own and um, kind of tried to continue to look at why Mississippi is one of the most food insecure states and um, what besides food insecurity may be causing that. So maybe um, not just simply there being a lack of food, but maybe they have a lack of transportation or maybe they have a lack of social capital or a lack of friends in their neighborhood that are able to, you know, tell them about the resources or help them get to the grocery store, whatever it may be. Um, so that's kind of been my focus lately. Yeah, like also to add on to that, on to that like of course, with food insecurity, main reason um, people are facing it is really just because they not, maybe don't have enough money or they just don't maybe have access to that food depending on money, where they live, or if they have a car. And there's many reasons why people face this food insecurity depending on what, how much access they have, depending on their state. But from where I am in Pennsylvania, like Pennsylvania is like the fourth largest producer of food products in um, the United States with 59,000 farms. So, of course, with Pennsylvania, it's one of the biggest producers in the United States. And still, food insecurity is such a big factor, even though you have so many access to different farms and different um, products, you know, food banks. Like, there's so many things that you could. And, of course, with Pennsylvania, they have big access to one of the best um, products in the United States, but also Pennsylvania still from where I am in Northeast Pennsylvania still deals with a lot of food insecurity from with me working on hands on deck with everyone and locally here and facing it and I'm just like, are you kidding? Like why is food insecurity still a big thing in Pennsylvania if we're in the fourth um range for a, a largest producer of food products? It's something that I'm like, okay, like what's going on? Like why is people like I'm just like figuring out like why is people still food, doing food insecurity if we're one of the biggest producers? Sometimes I'm like wondering. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And that's that's been one of my main focuses is just helping people to understand that um, you know, like in the South, we've got obviously tons of farms. That's one of the main things that the South is known for is our, um, like Arkansas is the number one producer of rice in the country. And I think maybe globally, like, I mean, like massive farms are down here. So how is it possible that there's people that are still going hungry when we have farms that are, you know, have excess food or like grocery stores that have food that's expiring or not being able to be used, you know, how is it possible that we have all of these resources, including food banks and food pantries, but we have, we still have people that are going hungry and that aren't able to access those resources. And that's what I've realized is that it's really just a lack of social capital, number one, but also a lack of a way to um, get the food to the people who actually need it. So a lack of, you know, refrigerated trucks to take food from restaurants at the end of the night to a food pantry or, um, you know, a lack of transportation for those expired or soon-to-be-expired foods, expired because 
you know, we know that a lot of food, even though it does have an expiration date, it doesn't actually go bad. Um, So a lot of times it's, you know, a lack of way to get that expired or soon to be expired food from the grocery store to a food bank. So that really is what the issue is. And that is really the root of why people are still going hungry, even though we have, it seems like a surplus of food in a lot of the areas of the United States. Yeah, and plus, like, with being part south and eastern states, from where I am, like, there's tons of farms in Pennsylvania, but not towards where I am, but there's tons of farms. And, of course, with being from the south, there's so many farms that, like, sometimes I'm like, why are people not getting access at just tons of farms and tons of produce to give out? But sometimes it depends if the food farms want to do a produce stand or even do a food distribution because every, of course, every farm and state is different. Some maybe some states don't allow them. Maybe some places have six rules. Who knows? I know every state is different in terms of those things. But everything is like even from the south, there's tons of farms and tons of crops that people really want access to. Because of course, with eating tons of vegetables, like I know a lot, of, a lot of people they love vegetables that they'll take as many as they could, mm-hmm. and. Of course, and people are probably thinking, like, okay, why are you talking about food security? Like, what is food insecurity or food security? Like, like, in your own words or explanation, like, what is kind of food insecurity and how does it really affect us? Yeah, so food insecurity is really just, you know, what we would call hunger. Um, and that's how I explain it to my kiddos whenever I go into a school program is that's that's really just the root of it is that it's, it's people that are going hungry um, on a regular basis, even if it's just for one meal. Um, so really just it's it's really occurs when people don't have a consistent um, access to food or ability to get food. So um, and also what you were talking about, too, is is something called food sovereignty, which is another big part of it, too. And it's it's the idea that um, people shouldn't just have access to food. They should have access to a healthy diet if they want one. And a lot of times, you know, if people are on government funded programs like SNAP or supplemental nutrition access programs, um, those really only cover not great food for you. You know, you can't get a hot meal with SNAP, which means that if there's like a rotisserie chicken that's at the grocery store, like those are my mom's favorite because she doesn't like to have to prepare the whole chicken. So she just grabs a rotisserie chicken because it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, you, if you're if you on SNAP, you can't get a rotisserie chicken, which would be ideal if you're trying to, you know, do a fast um, dinner, which is um, the reality for a lot of these people because usually they are working multiple jobs. Um and same thing with produce, you know, there's there's often not um, an, a plethora of produce, especially in food deserts, when, mm-hmm. you know, there's only a gas station that accepts SNAP. So if if you if that's your only option and you're you're having to use SNAP, then your options are probably going to be junk food. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can't remember the last gas station that I went that went to that had a awesome produce section, and I feel like that's pretty um, across the board. You know, I don't I don't think that many gas stations have you know all the veggies and all the fruits laid out with the little baggies that you can put them into. Um, that's just not that's just not commonplace in the United States. I hope that that's um, you know, something that we're able to have one day because that really is the root of the issue, especially when it comes to a healthy diet. Yeah, and of course, like with of course, from being from the desert of the West Coast, not a lot of there's not a lot of farms on the West Coast. Of course, with the desert, maybe like for example, maybe Arkansas or um, Arizona or maybe Texas. Of course, the desert stays with the hot, the hot degree heat. I'm like, 
it's kind of impossible to do build crops in those 100-degree heats. And, of course, with having crops, not a lot of um, maybe gas stations or even restaurants or whatever don't have uh, fresh produce from what I've seen here in Pennsylvania. Like, from me working with things, like, from an organization, we often do have produce stands from local farmers in Pennsylvania just to get at, like, people that have access and local here and to Pennsylvania. But, of course, not a lot of people have access, even though we have tons of farms here in Pennsylvania. So it really is just a matter of, okay, no matter what state we live in, like, everyone should have access, no matter the heat or climate we live in, right? Yeah, well, that's what's crazy, too, is that we're both so blessed, you know, to have um, a grocery store and gas stations and not just one, but like multiple grocery stores and gas stations near us and readily accessible. And so we don't have to worry about, you know, making sure that we have enough gas in our car to make it 20 miles to the next grocery store, which is the reality for a lot of people, especially in middle America and Appalachia. And um, so, I mean, that really is the root of the issue, too, is just really making sure that we're expanding those SNAP resources so that um, the people that are utilizing SNAP are able to actually use it (laughs) at whatever resource they have in their city. Definitely. And is there um, any, like, food security-related apps to keep track of anything? Like, or is there not none? I, I I saw something there was, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, there's there's definitely a couple. Um, one of them is called Yuka, and it's really cool. It, it allows you to scan um, like produce, like the little tags that are on produce, or really any food, and um, find the lowest cost option for that. So um, again, not really able to use if you don't have a car to actually get to the grocery store, but still a resource nonetheless. And then there's also a really cool app called Table to Table. And basically what it does is it finds um, people who are in need and it connects them them with restaurants who have an excess of food at the end of the night. So um, they're doing a really great job of bridging the gap between the resource and the people who need the resource, which is really um, what we're lacking in the United States. Mm, That's interesting. I did have to check those apps out. I definitely need recommendations on different things. So I definitely need (laughs) But, like, how can, like, we advocate for food insecurities? Of course, there's so many ways we can advocate for it. There's, like, okay, what should we do to reach more people? But in your opinion, like, how can we advocate for it? Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many ways. The obvious answer would be to volunteer at a food bank or a food pantry, um, because not only is that super helpful to the people that are running it, but it also is really fun normally. Um, would definitely recommend if you haven't ever done that. I always enjoy doing that. Um, but I mean, I also, it could be so much easier than that too. You know, I talk about food waste as well, and that really is a big part of food insecurity. And, Mm -hmm. um, that can look like just, you know, splitting an entree or, um, you know, taking your leftovers home. Or, um, one time I was in, I'm from Dallas and I was, you know, walking out of a, or walking into a restaurant and, I had a homeless man ask me for money, and so I made sure that whenever I left the restaurant that I was able to box up, like, my little side of fries that I hadn't touched and give it to him on the way out so that he'd have something to eat. It's literally as simple as that. Like, those are all things that we can factor into our daily lives, 
in some capacity. So it's just it's just a matter of being mindful, um, you know, going through your pantry and making sure that you're using things before they expire. And if you aren't going to be able to use them, then you can take them to the food pantry. Um, just little things like that, just making sure that people are more cognizant of their consumption and the effects of their food waste, because the reality is that food is the number one, um, I guess, substance in landfills as as it is today so um you know we can all do things to reduce our footprint on the world but also help people who are hungry for sure that is so well said but i i know you are a cheerleader as well but of course when you're a cheerleader you have to have so much energy which i can never do like it's like i don't know why but that much energy just can't this slide through me like quickly as a cheerleader how do you maintain energy levels when performing I think that the biggest thing that I would give to not just girls who are you know dancing or athletes um, but also to pageant girls and really just anybody listening um, you know diet culture is such a big thing and I think a lot of times we get roped into that and especially you know when you have a very form-fitting uniform that you need to look good in. It's really easy to say, you know, oh, gosh, I don't need to eat that. But in reality, it's really important to make sure that you're feeding your body well so that your body can execute what needs to be done, especially during a four-hour game where you're exercising and doing cardio the entire time. You know, we don't get a break. So um, I, I always make sure that I'm stocking up carbs the night before and the morning of. Um, I think a lot of times that's the first thing to go, especially in diet culture. So I always like to encourage people to eat carbs. It's a macronutrient for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so you definitely eat some, especially if you're going to do a really hard workout. And um, so that's, I feel like, kind of my savior. I always keep a granola bar on hand, um, even at the games. And I try to bring it out with me to the field if we can. We can usually bring out, like, our little water bottle. So I always try to um, attach it to that so that I can take it out and have it out, out on the field with me. But, you know, just obviously hydrating and um, just making sure that my body's prepared, not just the day of, but beforehand, too. So, you know, making sure that I'm working out um, regularly and not just cardio, but also strength training is super important. Um, But then, like I said, just a healthy diet is is really what it comes down to. Oh, 100%. Like, as someone who deals with eating before a such a good workout is something I'm struggling with. So, of course, <laughs> that's something I had to ask for someone that's in, like, cheerleading and everything. Of course, I'm a person that loves to work out and go to the gym, so I'm always looking for tips. If anyone has any tips, feel free to message me, message me, but I'm always taking some tips. But, like, um, how often do you practice for, because I know you work like are cheerleading for Memphis showboats, but how often do you usually practice for them? Um, During our season, we normally would practice two or three times a week. Um, We, you know, for every single game, we had a new routine that we had to learn. So that means a new routine that needs to be staged, that needs to be cleaned, that needs to be um, you know, per- able to be performed to the best of our ability because ultimately that's what's going to be on TV. So, mm-hmm. um, and also it was really interesting because this past year the Memphis Showboat cheerleaders were also cheerleaders for the Houston Gamblers. So oh, really? we had back-to-back games. So we had Showboat games were on Saturdays and Gamblers games were on Sundays. So we would practice throughout the week for both of our routines because they'd be different. 
So it was a lot of routines, a lot of things to remember, a lot of things changing because, you know, inevitably somebody's going to get sick at some point. Somebody's going to have a family emergency at some point. Like something's going to happen. We're going to have to fill the spot with somebody else. So just being able to be flexible, um, I think, would be my biggest piece of advice to anybody wanting to go into the dance industry in general. Ooh, that's so interesting. Like, I just, like, the hardest part about maybe doing sports is that, like, you have to be so much flexible. Yeah. Like, with doing things in terms of dances. I mean, I have a bad memory, so it's hard. Well, I learn things quickly, but at the same time, I'm like, I have such a bad memory of what I (laughs) at the same time, but I can remember a dance routine from maybe a month ago. So it really depends on how much you really want to do, but how do you kind of time manage all these things? Of course, with learning all these routines and stuff, and of course, like with pageants and stuff, like how do you manage all of it, plus with school as well? I get this question a lot, and I honestly don't know because it seems pretty like I, just, I guess I just like to be busy. I don't know. Yeah. I, I function at a better at a better um, level, I guess, whenever I'm my life is really fast-paced. So I enjoy being busy. I enjoy having a lot of things going on at once, and it's, it's kind of just how I've done things since I started, especially my undergrad degree, so for about the past six years. Um, but I keep a planner, which is really important. I have it with me literally right here. <laughs> It is my lifeline. Um, it tells me exactly where I need to be, what I need to do. Um, I have a to-do list on my phone that I'm constantly checking throughout the day. You can ask any of my friends and family. Um, I'm sure I annoy. I'm sure I annoy them with how much I check it. But um, really, just those two things help me um, keep track of what I'm supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be, mm-hmm. um, what I need to be working on, and. And I also don't like to really take downtime, which is not great. I wouldn't recommend that. But, you know, in, in what I feel like most people would be um, watching their favorite show. I don't really like to watch TV or movies. So I, but I, what I really do like to do is get stuff done on my to-do list. So that's when I, like, start knocking stuff out. Yeah, I'm um, the same exact way. I'm, like, I yeah. love relaxing. But at the same time, I'm just, like, I just want to get these things off my to-do list whenever. But there's always, every single day, there's always something adding up. I'm just, like, I'm just going to focus on my to-do list and do what I have to do then. Just go on with my life. If I watch TV, listen to music, I'm the happiest person. Like, I love being busy, even though if I'm so stressed about how much I'm putting on, I'm just like, I just rather be busy. I don't care how stressed I am. I rather be busy. Like, my model is like, be busy for a happier life for some reason. I don't know why, but that's like my mindset. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, do you have the favorite, like, artist or music you like to dance to? I'm a jazz girl for sure. So I've started doing lyrical more recently, more frequently. So like, especially for pageants, I've been doing lyrical and contemporary for the past couple. But what I really like is jazz and like that palmy kind of style. That's very, very NFL cheerleader, which makes perfect sense. Um, So I really like to do that. But I mean, honestly, anything that is allows me to do like leg extensions and fun jumps that's really up my alley I'm not picky <laughs> like I like I'll definitely like I, I feel like you're more of a hip-hop person from what of like I feel like you're more like a hip-hop person of course from being a cheerleader 
I was on a college dance team called the Northwest Dance Team, and we competed in hip-hop, and we actually placed second in the nation last year, which was really cool. So nice. I, I dabble in hip-hop. I do. I do. It's not my favorite, though. <laughs> More of a jazz person. Like, More do you do jazz music or just, like, jazz, like, dancing? No, and that's so funny because that's something that I didn't realize that non-dancers didn't understand is that jazz dance is not jazz music. <laughs> I just assumed everybody knew what jazz was. Um, but jazz is more like, like, think like Chicago, like the musical Chicago on Broadway or um, like Bob Fosse, Frank Sinatra, like that type of thing. Yeah. Um, that that's more the type of music I'm talking about, not like smooth jazz. Yeah, <laughs> there's more of a like, kind of like a old timer type of music rather than like okay, what is jazz? Like no, jazz is not like <laughs> popular like today. It's mostly like hot pop, country, or hip hop, R and B, rather than like yeah, jazz. It can be to all of them. It can be like, to all of them. Yeah, it's like it's like the musical Chicago. Like that's literally yeah. what exactly it is. Like. That's probably the better, best explanation I can give everyone of jazz. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, of course, um, you were Miss Queen of the South, and you've been doing it for about, like, a year now, right? Ish. Yeah, about a year-ish. Like, when is, like, your, um, like, how did you kind of pick your talents to become Miss Queen of the South? Yeah, so I started pageants about a year ago. Um, I didn't grow up doing them, which is kind of shocking, especially for a lot of people here in Mississippi. They're very common in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, this was new to me whenever I moved here from Texas, but um, every high school has a pageant, which I I thought that was so funny. I was like, that's the most Mississippi thing ever. Um, but I, I had a friend who competed her whole life, um, and especially as a teen in the Miss America program in Missouri. And she suggested that I start competing. She was like, you're a dancer. Like, ta- talent is done. Um, you can talk. I was vice president of my sorority. And so I was on a weekly basis talking to 400 plus people and not giving them great news because I was in charge of standards. So they were never thrilled to hear me talk, which was definitely a learning experience and definitely helped um, really just make me comfortable with public speaking because I kind of just had to be. Um, so she was like, you can talk, you can, you got your talent. All you need really is a dress. And so I started competing and I won my first local that I ever competed in, in the Miss America system in Texas. And then I went to compete at Miss Texas with over 60 girls. Miss Texas is actually bigger than Miss America, which is crazy. But then I placed top 10 at Miss Texas my first year. Um, and now I'm competing in Mississippi. I won my local, and now I'm Miss Queen of the South. And um, I'm so excited to be competing in, I call it my surrogate state, Mississippi, because it's where it's the only place I've ever lived as an adult and by myself. So I'm really excited to be representing our state and representing the whole South, since that's what I'm the queen of, mm-hmm. uh, in June. No, I love it. Like, got, like is there, like, 51 girls in, in Miss America total? Right. Yeah. Oh, so that's crazy because I was watching the pageants over the last couple of days. So one of my friends competed in it from Miss Pennsylvania. So I'm like, I have to watch it as well. But I'm like, that's crazy that Miss like Texas added like 60 people. Well, now it's I realize wild. how big that state is. Like that's insane. It's wild. It really is. <laughs> but like, what was like, was the process hard to come this Queen of South, or did was kind of like easier, smooth flow after kind of competing before? Because I know like a lot of 
people are competing always say like, okay, these pageants are always different. Like, of course, with local and state competitions are always like more smooth, more harder. But was that kind of like was it kind of hard for you to compete in, or was it kind of like smooth? Um. You know, I'm a big fan of the idea of not getting ready, but staying ready. So that's definitely something that I practice um, throughout the whole year. So, you know, there's never a period where I wasn't doing something to help my talent or, you know, doing an interview or doing a mock or, um, you know, looking for a new evening gown. There's always something that I'm going to be doing to prep for state and ultimately Miss America, because that's my goal ultimately is, is to be Miss America. And so, um, I feel like if I if that's what my goal is, then that's something that I need to be you know walking in on on a daily basis. And so, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm I feel like I always need to remind girls, especially girls who have been doing pageants their whole life, that a lot of times things that you're doing in your life already are training enough. And so, you know, part of my job at the University of Mississippi is that I teach to college students and that's great interview practice because they ask me crazy questions sometimes. They're a mess. So, um, you know, that in of itself is training. And I think just kind of looking at life through that lens is helpful and not putting so much pressure on yourself to have to do a mock because you're already doing practice for interview and so many other aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. It seems like you're doing like every aspect of pageant. So it's teaching like, Asking so many questions, I'm just like, I feel like a pro already by so many questions these people are asking me at this point. Oh, between my college kids and then the kids in schools that are like kindergarten age, I'm like, we're covering all of our bases here with these questions. I know, <laughs> the same questions that I'm like, okay, I already have an answer for this. Let's just get, yeah. this, let's just get it all through for this day. Yeah, you can't but, throw me a curveball. <laughs> I know, right? But um, before we head off, I want to ask you, like, what are some qualities, in your opinion, that you think you should have as a title holder? Um, I think you should be innovative, and I think you should you should always be looking for a way to make it better, and really ask every aspect of life, which is why I say it, <laughs> because it could be anything. Yeah. So I think especially for being a title holder, you should be, um, you know, looking for new sponsorships within your organization. You should be looking for new appearance opportunities for your organization. You should be, you know, evaluating last year's state competition. How could it be better? How could you improve it if you were going to be the state competitor? Um, you know, how could you represent your state the best if you were to be Miss America? And how could you be implementing that now? Mm, that's such a great way. And of course, when you're in, of course, in interviews or something, a lot of people or like the judges are always asking, like how can how would you prove like our state or Miss America if you were maybe Miss Mississippi, for example? You know, I a lot of judges are also looking at okay, what would you do if you were Miss Mississippi? You know what I mean? Like what would you do? What was your life's mission? Like how do you prepare for this? Of course, mm -hmm. a lot of people do it so much differently. Like with Miss America twenty twenty four, she's like the first one to serve um in the active military which is amazing like it's just like so many different things that people bring like being in the military like it's just like representation like to see so many people be coming maybe from the military come from a small town like or even doing uh, maybe being a translator like there's so many things that people are looking for that are like okay Who's going to be the next mississippi like there's so many qualities that people need i'm just like okay what is the mindset I'm going into this thing? Is there so many people that I'm like, okay, I'm one out of 60 people on this pageant. 
So what's going on? Yeah, yeah, it, it's wild. And it's definitely, um, you know, there there's mental prep that needs to be done for sure, I think, for every contestant. And I think that that's kind of becoming a bigger trend now. But um, really, the best way to prepare for the job that you want is to go ahead and start doing that job. And so that's definitely something that I practice as a local title holder. Um, I, I'm very active, and I'm more active than I think a lot of um, directors would expect a local title holder to be, and, and that's the point, is because I'm, I'm not doing the job of just my local title. I'm doing the job of Miss Mississippi and what I hope to one day be as Miss America. For sure. I love it. So that is seriously the best way to end off this episode. I hope everyone enjoyed um, listening to this episode, and if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me, or if anyone has any questions for you, how can people reach out to you? Yes, y'all can, I mean, you can DM me on Instagram. I will definitely respond. Um, like she said, I, I host a podcast too, so I'd, I'd be just cold DMing people. So feel free to reach out. Um, I think I have my email in my bio, but I mean, just find my Instagram. It's notorious underscore L underscore I underscore Z, and you can reach out to me from there. Perfect. Everyone go check her out. Thank you all for listening to this episode. <laughs> subscribe and like, and go check her out. And thank you so much for joining us today. I love chatting with you. Of course, of course, I had so much fun. Thank you.